called Naomi. She's two years old, and she is insanely cute, as uh, those of you who know her will testify. Um, so, uh, Steph asked me to preach on this uh, passage. It's a, a parable of uh, the rich man Lazarus. He asked me to preach on it a couple of months ago. And what I tend to find when I uh, preach is that um, when I'm doing my research and my study, uh, by the end of that whole experience, I find that I'm so challenged and uh, on, that, on that particular kind of topic. I'm so much more challenged than probably most of the people I'm speaking to. And so when, when Steph gave me this one, I was kind of expecting that. But what I kind of wasn't prepared for was uh, just how much uh, this would kind of impact me. And um, this is an absolute red-hot parable. And uh, to be honest, I feel like it's sort of ruined my life, really. Um, and so I just want to say to you at the start, um, just kind of hang on to your seats, folks, because this is, this is dynamite stuff. And uh, I don't know why I'm warning you, really, because I warned the morning congregation. They were still kind of freaked out by the end of it. So uh, let's just get on with it. So um, if you've got a Bible, then please turn to Luke chapter 16. Um, if you don't know your, no, your, your way around the Bible that well yet, then um, basically the second part of the Bible is the New Testament, and it goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. That's this one. If you get to John, you've gone too far. Uh, so we're going to look at Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, then it will come up on the screen. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, Covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. Now, um, on the front of this uh, pack of cigarettes, it says in very big, bold letters, smoking kills. Now, um, I'm not uh, going to say that smoking a cigarette is a sin any more than I'd say eating a double cheeseburger and fries is a sin. But what I would say is that if you um, spend your life uh, smoking and you are killed by a smoking-related disease, then you can't say no one warned you. Um, by the way, thank you, Rich, for lending me these. <laughs> Give those to you straight after the service. And this parable, likewise, is a stark warning. And the question is very simple. Do you believe what Jesus is warning you about, and will you heed it? It's a parable, like I said, it packs no punches. It's about two men, two destinies. One man is incredibly wealthy. I mean, he has just got exorbitant, ostentatious wealth. This is a guy who would lunch at the Dorchester, a dinner at the Ivy. It's a guy who, um, he's obviously got a massive place because... Uh, that word for his gate, that's not like our little garden gate. That's the kind of gate you get on Buckingham Palace. It's a bloke who, he has no worries in life. He's sorted that life's dealt him a, a good hand. And then right at the other end of the scale, we have a poor man. And he lies, the word that is actually sprawled at this rich man's gate. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's covered with sores. He desires to be fed just the crumbs from this rich man's table. So his idea of a dinner is, is ripping open bin bags, sorting through bins. That's, his, that's where he gets his dinner from. He even says one gruesome little detail, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
So it's a picture of utter, abject poverty. Some of you might have travelled uh, to the developing world. You might have seen this sort of thing. Uh, it's something that really stays with you. Um, and so it's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, which one of these two you'd rather be. Um, but the poor man has something that the rich man doesn't. I don't know if you've spotted it. It's in verse 20. Uh, the poor man has a name. And it's, it's very significant because uh, this is the only one of Jesus' parables where any of the characters have a name. And uh, the name actually means uh, known by God. So Lazarus was known by God. Now which one would you rather be? The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now in the uh, NIV version of the Bible, verse 22 says, When the time came, they both died. And uh, I want to point that out because we, uh, we all die. Our time comes up, doesn't it? And uh, it's worth stating that blindingly obvious statement because in our culture, we don't like to think about that. We don't ever talk about death. We don't ever think about it. And um, the Bible says that uh, life is like the morning mist. The sun comes up and it, it, it vanishes. The Bible says that uh, life is like a drop of water that drops into the ground and disappears. The Bible says that life is like... Um, a sigh, it's just, and it's gone. The Bible says that life is like chaff, it's thrown into the wind and it, and it, and it vanishes. The point isn't so much that uh, life is short, although life definitely is short, but the point is that in the light of all eternity, this life will seem just like a moment, just a sigh. See, the Bible says that we'll live for eternity and it says we'll live for eternity either in heaven or in hell. And we know this. Uh, how do we know it? Well, because Jesus told us. There's no one uh, more loving than Jesus. Jesus, he, he's the one who, who, who preached, love your enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, even when he's being tortured on the cross, he prayed to God, God, have mercy on them. They don't know what they're doing. There's no one, there's no one more loving than Jesus that ever walked the earth. And yet he told us about hell, he warned about hell more than anyone else does in scripture. Uh, the word Jesus used commonly for hell was uh, Gehenna. Gehenna was a, an actual place. So outside of Jerusalem, uh, there's a place called Gehenna. And uh, historically, it had been uh, used at one time by evil Israelite kings uh, for child sacrifice. So the kings Ahaz and Manasseh had actually sacrificed their own children there to foreign gods. So it was uh, a, a defiled, deplorable, despicable place. Uh, it's uh, our kind of modern equivalent. The closest thing would probably be Auschwitz, something like that. So somewhere where we, you know, we know what happened there. We don't even want to think about what went on there. And so as a result, it had turned into the, the kind of rubbish dump the city. So that's where people would chuck their rubbish. That's where human waste would go. That's where they would throw bodies of uh, criminals or someone like Lazarus might have ended up there. It's a place where fires were always burning. It's a place of decay uh, where the worm was always eating. And uh, we don't know exactly what hell is like, but we know that when Jesus wanted to give his listeners a very good understanding of what it's like, that's the picture he used. So he said Gehenna, and everyone he was speaking to would know exactly what he was talking about. Now, hell obviously isn't a popular concept uh, in our culture. It's not something which uh, we even like to think about, is it? But I want you to think, what would be the alternative to hell? If there wasn't a hell, well, if there wasn't a hell, then God wouldn't be a God of justice. Our God is perfectly just. He is completely holy, and he will not let... Uh, sin go unpunished. I w I've been reading this week um, about Afghanistan a little bit. And uh, one article I read really upset me. I, I actually stopped reading it. But, um, but what it said was that um, there are insurgents in, in Afghanistan who are so uh, against women having any kind of rights, even having the right to read, that they 
poison uh, the food of schoolgirls, and um, even said that some so some school uh, some girls' schools they even and it happens a lot apparently they'll burn down girls' schools with the children and the teachers still in. Now God will not let that sin go unpunished. I mean it's just it's horrendous evil, isn't it? It makes us sick to even think about it. Um, but God won't let that go unpunished. He's a, a, a God who will call these men to account. And we should find uh, comfort in that. That unless these men uh, sincerely repent of what they've done and turn to God, that they'll face judgment. And what about this story? You know, we look at this rich man, and I look at him and I think, I think he should be judged. Because there he is, he's got everything you could possibly need. It says he, he, he dines sumptuously every day. Uh, he, he's got this amazing clothes, he's got an amazing house, and right outside, right outside his gate, there's Lazarus. And it turns out he even, knows, he even knows his name, and yet he does nothing for him. And it would be so easy for him to do something for him. I mean, it, it, it would cost him nothing, he wouldn't even notice the difference. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. And yet he does nothing for Lazarus. I think, yeah, he should face judgment for that. But then the trouble is, I sort of think, am I that different? The truth is we all let people suffer in poverty, don't we, while we live in luxury. Did you know that um, we, can, uh, we could, if we, if we want, we can eradicate malaria in 10 years. It could be completely gone from the earth. Uh, it's not even that expensive to do. It just requires political will, it requires will on our parts. It's something that people uh, in, in development call it, they sort of fr- phrase it as um, stupid poverty. So stupid poverty. Like they sort of accept, that, okay, there's things, there'll, there'll always be injustice, there'll always be uh, um, unfairness, but just things like children who die for lack of food in their stomach. It's stupid poverty. That just shouldn't happen in the 21st century. There's no reason why that should happen. But the reason it does happen is because of selfishness and greed on our parts. We're all guilty of selfishness and greed. We're all full of sin. Paul says we're all sinful. And um, to give you a picture, so if you imagine uh, us before God, uh, uh, we can have perfect access to God, but our sin, that selfishness, that greed... It forms a barrier between us and God. And um, because of our sin, we're unable to to do anything about it. There's there's no hope for us. And yet God's response, because God is so gracious, so compassionate, he loves us so much, his response wasn't to leave us in that state, but he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus came to earth. Jesus, who is perfect, blameless, lived an absolutely um, 100% morally perfect life. And he always enjoyed this perfect access to the Father. Now Jesus, because he loved us so much, he went to the cross for us. He was uh, betrayed by his friends. He went through emotional anguish so bad that he sweated blood. He was tried. He was beaten. They put a, a, a crown of thorns on his head. Uh, that would have pushed uh, right into his skull. He was then whipped. He was flogged uh, 40 lashes, which would, um, I mean, it would kill some people, that alone. He then was made to carry his cross for a mile. And by that point, he was so exhausted that he was unable to carry it. Someone had to carry it for him. And then uh, they drove spikes through his hands and his feet. And put him on the cross and they tortured him on the cross. All these things Jesus went through for us. And yet, worse than all those things was that before death, every one of uh, mankind's sins, every one of our sins, was put onto his shoulders. And at that point, this perfect uh, access that he's always enjoyed with the Father from eternity was cut off like, a, like, a, like an air supply line. It was cut off completely. And at that point, he, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cursed with all our sin. I can't imagine what that would 
feel like to, to bear the sins of the world. He died shortly afterwards. And the, the wonderful news is that because he's, the, the Bible says that the, the, the curse of sin is death. Because he lived a perfect life, because he never sinned, he defeated sin and death on that cross. He rose again. And now he, he, he offers us this same utter perfect righteousness, this spotlessness of Jesus. And he offers it to us as a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But we can have this uh, utter holiness in Jesus. We can know the Father. And um, really what the, the difference between those of us who receive that gift and those that don't is how we see ourselves. So if we take, for example, the rich man Lazarus, I can well imagine that Lazarus offered this gift by Jesus, would look at himself, realise he has absolutely nothing in the world, look at himself and think, there's nothing in me that could possibly um, deserve this, that could possibly commend me to a perfect God, I'm sinful, and he would gratefully receive that gift of eternal life. Then we take the, the example of the rich man, Imagine Jesus offering him eternal life. He might just kind of I don't know if you noticed Jesus, but I'm actually doing doing pretty well for myself. Actually, I think I I think I'm all right on my own, thank you very much. I've got got things pretty well covered here, thank you. And the rich man failed to see that despite all his amazing wealth that he'd accrued. He was utterly spiritually poor, utterly morally bankrupt. There was nothing in him that could commend him to a holy God. And yet he was so tied up in his own uh, material wealth, so caught up in his own, uh, mor- uh, his own sort of intellectual superiority, like, like so many of the rich, that he completely failed to see his need for God. wonderful promise of Lazarus is um, stated by Paul. He says, no eye has seen, no mind has ever conceived the glorious things which God has prepared for, for those who believe. The, the promise of eternal life with Jesus, we can't even fathom it. It's like the, the most amazing experience you've ever had, times infinity for all time. It, it's too wonderful to, to, to eat for, our, for our little brains to even get. And I want to ask you, um, who are you in this story? And I want to uh, start with uh, the Christians. I want to um, start off by uh, defining uh, what is rich. Because it's very easy, isn't it? Where, when we think of who's rich and who isn't, we kind of immediately think, well, they're rich because they've got more money than me. Uh, it's a very subjective thing. So I thought, let me give you a good objective uh, idea of what rich is. Uh, if you earn, or, or if your income is more than £6.25 a day, or £190 a month, or that, that, that works out at about £2,300 a year, then you're in the uh, top 20% richest people in the world. Um, I realise there's some students here, so you might sort of say, well, I don't have an income per se, but if you imagine, if you could earn £6.25 a day, if you've got that sort of earning power, then uh, you're, you're in the top 20% uh, uh, richest people in the world. You see, we live in a land of rich people, so it's very easy to kind of be completely blinded to the fact that we're rich. It's only when we see uh, real poverty that we realise. And uh, so I thought, okay, uh, let's look at the Bible. What happens when rich people uh, meet Jesus? So if, 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 I'm not going to assume that we're all rich here, but most of us here are rich. Uh, you might be, yeah, I didn't realise I was rich. Oh, you're rich. Uh, so, okay, what happens uh, when rich people meet Jesus? So I had a look, uh, and uh, I, I found a pattern emerging. Let's look at the, the first example. Um, it's going to come up uh, on, on the screen now uh, with Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was uh, a tax collector. He swindled his own people out of money. And um, he met Jesus. Jesus convicted him of what he'd been doing. Uh, it totally changed his life. And, and so he said, 
uh, if you go, it's about, it's about number five or something like that in the slides. So it's the first quote after the passage that we've been going through. Yeah, there you go. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house. I used to read this, and I'd be really confused. I was like, how can he give back half his stuff and then repay everyone fourfold? I realized, oh, he's not going to have anything left by the end of it. And so the pattern I found, and we'll look at a couple more examples, is that when rich people meet Jesus, what happens is... uh, radical, extravagant generosity to the point probably where they're not rich anymore. Let's look at another example, the next slide. Um, Back one. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So here's another one. Another tax collector, wealthy. He meets Jesus. He gives up everything. Uh, we won't look at it, but another example would be Mary, sister of Martha. What's her response to meeting Jesus? Well, she, 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 um, it's a, a 20 grand bottle of perfume and anoints Jesus' feet with it. Just extravagant, radical generosity. Let's look at the, the, the flip side of this. What happens uh, when someone doesn't respond? So, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So, as you can see, there's a pattern emerging. When people meet Jesus, they become radically generous probably to the point of not having, not being rich anymore. Now, I've never actually heard this preached. And uh, I've, been, I've been in church for a while, and uh, I, I may not have been listening, but I've never heard this preached. And uh, uh, what, what I have heard preached uh, is that, and this is not very often either, but I've, I've kind of heard it said, it's okay for Christians to be rich. And the rationale is um, that, uh, Jesus, when he ministered, so he ministered for three years, he didn't work during that time. So he would have depended on uh, donations. Uh, and so he would have, uh, ex- and, he, and he accepted that money. Uh, therefore, Jesus had benefactors, therefore it's okay um, for Christians to be rich. And uh, I sort of think, really? Like, is, is, that, is that really what we get when we look at the New Testament? Is that the principal message that's coming at us from the pages. I think we can be quite tricky sometimes, Christians. I think we can kind of say, oh, it's, you know, you've really got to contextualise stuff and it's very opaque and, oh, it's so hard to understand. Um, Listen to this quote from uh, Soren Kierkegaard. The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we're obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. My God, you'll say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. How would I ever get on in the world? Herein lies the real place of Christian scholarship. Christian scholarship is the church's prodigious invention to defend itself against the Bible, to ensure that we can continue to be good Christians without the Bible coming too close. Oh, priceless scholarship, what would we do without you? Dreadful it is to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, it is even dreadful to be alone with the New Testament. I hate that. I hate that quote, don't you? 
Here, here are some other scriptures that I really uh, don't like being left alone with. Uh, let's look at one, First uh, John 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So this verse says, if you see someone in need and don't help them, how is, how is God's love in you? Let's look at another one. Uh, Luke 14, verses uh, 12 to 14. He, that's Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you but you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So this verse says that we should invite the needy into our home. It's the word of God, isn't it? And it's very clear. So when was the last time that we invited the poor, the crippled, the lame or the blind into our home? Here's another one. Uh, John the Baptist preached in in Luke 3, 8, 11. Bear fruits that befit repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. So John the Baptist here is saying to the Jews, um, look, don't just say you're Jews and therefore you're okay. If you were really Jews, if you really uh, knew God, then there would be fruit of it in your lives. You'd be fruitful. You would give away your clothes. Um, but as it is, you, you're not fruitful, so Jesus is going to chop you down and he's going to throw you into hell. That's what it says. Pretty clear again. And that's the story here with this rich man. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. So this rich man, he calls out, Father Abraham. He's a Jew. His Jewishness hasn't saved him. Turns out he knew the, the Moses and the prophets, but he'd ignored that as well. Now, what would be the equivalent of that in, in the church today? What well, would be professing Christians who would say, I'm secure as a child of God. Now, don't tell me that the way that I handle my money could jeopardize my eternal destiny. You see, this, uh, this rich man, he was... Uh, he, was, he, he delighted in luxury and, 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 and things uh, more than he was able to show love to Lazarus. And he thought, you know, I'm secure as a child of Abraham. And now he's in hell. Let's look again at uh, the end of that passage from, from John the Baptist. He says, he who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. So I want to ask you today, well, I want to get really, really practical. Um, I want to ask you, um, have you got two coats? So have you got uh, two of something when one would be enough? Or have you got you know, three or four or five of something when one would be enough? Let's get really practical. Let's try and help. I, I want to try and help us here. So here, here is some uh, Responses that I think would be helpful to this. Uh, how about don't buy any clothes for, for two or three years? So you've got enough clothes, haven't you? Just wear the ones you've got. And uh, if, uh, you, if, if those ones kind of get holes in after a bit, they wear out, then okay, let's, let's get some new clothes. Let's maybe pop along to a charity shop, get a good deal there, go on eBay, let, let, let's... Let's get something uh, good value. Now, I appreciate that, um, for example, that, that there might be uh, exceptions. So if you get pregnant, uh, I've noticed that you get bigger. 
so you're going to need to buy maternity wear, that's fair enough. Uh, you might be getting married, okay, I accept. You're probably going to, need to, you're going to want to buy a wedding dress. Now, I did have an absolutely brilliant idea on this. Uh, hear me out on this. The Revelation Church wedding dress. <laughs> One dress, all you girls share it. Pass it on, because none of you are getting married on the same day. I think it's ingenious. Um, okay, maybe you're going to need to get a wedding dress. Um, but I, I, I want... Um, uh, and, okay, you might be saying, right, well, in my work, I need to be taken seriously. I'm not going to be taken seriously. If you're going for those top sort of exec jobs, I'm not going to be taken seriously unless I kind of, you know, look decent. Okay, I understand that. Revelation Church, uh, the, the elders, they want to support you in that. They want to support you to really go... Uh, be the best in business, uh, be Jesus in that place, uh, means that you're going to earn a lot of money, which just means you're going to give a lot of money, means uh, you're going to reach those people who, who have a lot of money and they're going to get saved and they're going to give a lot of money too, so that's good. So yeah, okay, get yourself um, the stuff that will uh, mean you're, you're, you can do that job, be taken seriously, but just don't get any more than you need, don't get a single sock more than you need. Don't use it as an excuse uh, to, to hide behind. Um, okay, so that's clothes. Same for gadgets. So uh, your phone. Use your phone until it breaks. Don't, you don't need to upgrade. That one's fine. Uh, same with your TV. Same with your sofa. Use that stuff till it breaks. Uh, and and, and uh, then the money that you save that you would have spent on clothes and you would have spent on just stuff, uh, now you can give that money to the poor. And do you know why? Because it belongs to them. It's their money. It's not your money. Um, I would really, really, really strongly recommend that you, uh, if you haven't got a really tight budget, that you uh, sign up for the CAP money course. That will help you get a budget. It will help you um, look at all the areas in your life where you spend. I know that you think, you know, oh, I don't put away money, but... Um, I did it with a bunch of guys, and we all thought we were pretty good. Well, some of us did, some of us didn't. But we all found, okay, there's things here where I'm just, money's just going like that, and I'm not even realising it. Um, there are opportunities there um, to really make uh, amazing savings. Um, then I'd say, uh, once you've done that, okay, how are you going to give your money? Well, give your money in community. So don't just uh, write off a cheque to a kind of anonymous um, charity, but give money in community, give to the poor people that you know, so that, that, that there's wonderful blessing in that community. Some of you, that might mean you need to actually get to know some people who are poor, you might not have that yet in your lives, you really need that. Uh, there are other ways that you can uh, give in community, you can give to CAP, Christians Against Poverty, which we're, uh, as a church, we, we partner with, they do amazing stuff with people who are in debt. Uh, you could give to Esther, uh, who's um, part of this congregation, and she's uh, going away to uh, Central Asia. And uh, she is, um, I mean, she's done a Levi. She's, she's got up uh, and left everything behind. So she, we can support her in that financially. She's really out on a limb financially. Uh, she's going to a place, uh, I think it's the place that has the highest infant mortality rate in the world. I mean, that is poverty. And uh, she's going to bring the gospel there. She's going to um, bring understanding that will save lives. Uh, let's support her in that. Um, give to Rev. Rev, this church is uh, God's agent for, for reaching the poor. That's God's plan. Give to Rev. Um, just on the other side of this, I just want to say, if you are in debt, if you're struggling, if you're finding that uh, your outgoings are more than your incomes, then... Um, We'd really love to help you. We have something called 245, uh, which is basically a church poor fund. Uh, we'll sit down with you, help you look at your budget, help you find ways to save if there aren't, and then we'll, we'll actually help you financially. Please don't, um, while we're on this topic, I just thought it's worth advertising that to you. Please don't keep quiet if you're in trouble. Um, talk to your TENS leader. Talk to someone in leadership if you don't have a TENS leader. But do shout, please. Um, I do believe that as we let God challenge us, as we, as we uh, let God's word challenge us, um, 
as we let God transform us from being uh, selfish and greedy into being people who are, um, have soft hearts and uh, 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 are willing to listen to God and, and become radical, radically generous, then he'll do an amazing thing in our hearts. He'll really um, speak amazingly to our friends who don't know Jesus yet. Um, I was talking to Tom and he was sharing... Tom Allen, wherever he is, there he is at the back there. He heads up the homeless outreach. He was saying that he didn't, uh, his, his mates at work just weren't interested in church. And uh, then he, um, he just got people to help out with uh, getting the, the boxes together for the homeless and getting stuff in there for, for a Christmas package. He just found that suddenly there was a way to talk to people. Suddenly people were interested by showing a heart for the poor. It's very attractive, it's authentic. And it, it, it means that it gives us a right to talk to people. Um, it gives us their ear. Um, all right. Now, what we're going to do is uh, shortly we're going to do Q&A because I realize that there's some sort of, it's, it's a very full-on thing uh, um, and it's helpful to answer your questions. What I want to do f- just before that is um, just finish off and say, uh, what about those of you who say you're not a Christian or you're not sure? Well, let's uh, pick up uh, the story, um, so in Luke 16 from verse 27, because verse 27 onwards, it's about you. So, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, even if, uh, even if they do not hear Moses, if, sorry. So Abraham said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. So like the rich man's brothers, you're still on the earth and your eternal destiny is not decided yet. And these brothers, uh, it turns out they, they already kind of, know who God is, they know what the Bible's all about, they, they know Moses and the prophets. So they've heard this message before, and yet it, it hasn't impacted them, it hasn't changed them. They're still, uh, like the rich man, they're kind of looking at themselves, and they're thinking, you know what, I'm all right. I think, you know, I've, I've got it going on, I'm fine, I don't need God. And they're completely unable to see their selfishness and their greed completely unable to see that they're spiritually poor, morally bankrupt, got absolutely nothing. Like I said earlier, that what determines whether we accept this gift of eternal life from Jesus or not is whether we see ourselves as we are, whether we accept that we're simple and that we need a saviour. It says that they, they wouldn't repent, and, and it may, Abraham makes a staggering statement. Not even someone coming back from the dead would convince them. Jesus rose from the dead. That is the good news. It is good news for us, folks. And it's good news for you. Scripture says salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. All you have to do is accept this gift of eternal life. I said earlier, this life is just a sigh. Thanks, God. It's so short. And the Bible is so clear about eternity. And there's no middle ground there. It's very clear, heaven or hell. Jesus gives us such a clear warning. The question is, will you heed it? Will you listen to what he's saying? Um, Earlier, Seb advertised Christianity Explored. That's a chance for you to find out more, to really ask those deep questions. You know, what is... uh, What's grace all about? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? It gives you a chance to explore this stuff more. But I just want you to not miss this moment. Not to just miss this moment because um, life is like a sigh, folks. What I'm going to do is I'm going to um, pray. What I'd like you to do is if you want to respond uh, to this word, uh, I'm going to pray and we're all going to uh, repeat back the, prayer I, the, the, the line I say. And if, if, if you have never prayed this before, this is your chance to pray for the first time and accept Jesus into your heart and accept this gift of eternal life. All right. So just repeat after me, folks. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. 
thank you that you, you gave your life for me. I recognize that there's nothing in me that could commend me to God. I'm sinful. I'm spiritually poor. But I accept your gift of eternal life. And I follow you, Jesus. And I follow your ways. And I pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. All right. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, before we finish up, we're going to do uh, just a bit of Q&A. And now, there might not be any questions. That's fine. Uh, but there's a good chance there are questions. Uh, now, I've found in the past, and I've done Q&A, that... Um, uh, someone asked me a question, and I think of an absolutely brilliant, perfect answer. Uh, unfortunately, I think of the answer about two days after it's been asked. Uh, my brain doesn't work that quickly, so I've asked uh, Rich to come, and uh, we're going to sort of tag team this bit between us, aren't we? So if you want to come up, Rich, um, and uh, hopefully between us, uh, this will be a, a helpful thing for you guys. So does anyone have any questions? Right, Seb, you were first. Okay, yeah, yeah. I suspect this is one of those questions where you know the answer better than me, Seb, but I'll give, I'll give my best go at it. Um, so, Jesus is, uh, so God's plan for bringing his kingdom onto this earth is the church. So, when he gives us money, he gives us money to bring him. His kingdom come on the earth. So that's what it's for. So we need to, uh, when we get money, make sure that we have enough to eat so that we can function, have a roof over our heads so we're, so we're warm. Uh, but basically we're, we're to use that money for God's kingdom. It's not to be used for kind of stuff for ourselves. Um, so... That's what I'm saying, uh, and there's so much stuff in Scripture about how we should care for the poor. In fact, it's, as a topic, it's, I mean, there's over 2,000 verses on that. As a topic, it's second only to personal redemption in the Bible, and it's, it's that bigger message in the Bible. So um, it's very clear that we're, that we're to care for the poor, and uh, so that's my answer. Have you got a better answer? Um, no, okay, good. All right, fine. Rich? I think a big part of becoming a Christian is surrendering your life to Christ, and I think a huge part of it is that He demands our all. Um, and so, even even when you guys are coming here, and I'm coming to the table, we surrender all that we are, all that we have to Him. Mm. Um, and so, I think you know, in terms of in terms of uh, our finances and stuff, that all comes under our possessions, if you like, our giving to God. Um, and it's important that we remember that um, the Bible says that every good gift is given from God. So even the means by which we live is given by God. Um, and so it's about bringing that in submission under him um, and living accordingly um, and kind of surrendering all of that to him. And then, and then you read kind of some of the things, the challenges that Jesus makes about loving the poor. You know, remember the poor, they're always be with you. You know, and you think actually marrying the two up means I've surrendered all of my possessions and Jesus is telling me to love the poor. That what that means is surrendering everything and giving it away. Yeah. I, I don't know your name, Simone. but... Simone. Simone, right. Um, you've got
All right, so let me just uh, repeat back the questions. Uh, so, yeah, so the first one is saying, uh, so the, the rich man is uh, wealthy, and, uh, but he doesn't recognize that he's spiritually poor. What if you were talking uh, to a Muslim who would say, yeah, I'm materially rich, and actually I'm not spiritually poor because uh, I've got a belief. All right, I've phrased that question well, and now rich can answer it. <laughs> Um, uh, I'll tackle the second question first. Um, I, I, I need to say that I think that kind of only stresses the urgency that we have in telling in telling our family members um, that there w- you know I mean that there won't be another chance. Do you know what I mean? And I think you know like that we've got to do all that we can now, which it, which is what makes this stuff so radical because it transforms a life and people see that. You know, and the Bible says that by our fruits we'll be known. You know, and the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live our lives demonstrates to those around us that actually we're building our lives on this stuff. Um, and that, I think that's why it's such a radical message. And I think, you know, that it, it, it kind of, it shouldn't inspire fear that we kind of, ah, oh, i got to, like, panic. But I think there should be a godly urgency about us to get out there and, y- you know, like, do you realize what this means? If you reject Jesus, do you realize what that means? Um, and kind of have that sort of, um, you know, the Bible says to be sober-minded, you know, and to kind of fix our fix our eyes on heaven um, and the heavenly things. And it's it, it's kind of marrying those two things to kind of creating an urgency within us, and yet kind of striving to tell people um, and things. Carry Do you on. want to add anything no, to that? Carry on. Okay. And and the and the first one, I, I would say that um, the Bible. The Bible has two categories, believers and non-believers. Um, and I, and the, way I w- the way I would answer that in a personal com- conversation, it, hopefully I would have a personal relationship with them. Um, but what I would do is I would, is I would just uh, say to them, look, you know, the Bible says that they're either believers in Jesus or non-believers. Um, and they're the two categories. And then I would say, actually, if you're, if you're living outside of Jesus and you're clinging to anything, anything other than... Jesus. So whether that's a religion um, or even or even a lifestyle that you're living, if you're building your life on something that isn't Jesus, it's deception. It's deception. You may feel spiritually rich because you're doing all of these good things and you're doing all of this stuff, but actually you're spiritually you're bankrupt. You know, and it's only when we come to Jesus and He comes to live inside of us that we're transformed and changed, and and we know true. You know, the, the Bible says that you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Do you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. Um, oh man, I don't even know where to start. I, I, saw, I saw Rachel cross his hand first, so... Okay, so the question was, um, well, the way you phrased it was, yeah, where does art play a role? Um, so it, 
in, in terms of if we're just going to live by just what we need, it seems like what you're saying is we're going to live on just all we, what we need. You know, what about these little splashes of beauty and colour in our lives? Is that what you're kind of saying? Okay. Um, I, think I, th- I think I sort of... A thing that would sort of keep coming back to if we did this Q&A forever would be this kind of thing of, you know, where do I actually draw the line? You know, can you give me a clear... How do I actually do this? And I think... Um, so, so where we've come to in this is that the way that we should act is uh, radical generosity to the, to the point of probably not being rich anymore. And then, once you've got that, okay, how do I then um, work that out for myself? So this morning, uh, after the sermon, uh, just sort of spontaneously, there were little kind of clusters of people and they were just discussing, how on earth do I actually do this? What does this mean for me? And I thought, oh, that's, actually, that's really encouraging and really cool because that's what community is, isn't it? We get to sit down with each other and, uh, and be accountable to each other and encourage one another. And so I thought, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if, like, as a result of this, reading this passage, we sit down with people in church that we really trust and love and go through this, these sort of passages together and, go and look at our finances together and, and say, how do I, you know, what do you think about this? Help me. And, and, and be really open to being really radical about it. Um, so that's a kind of broader answer. I don't realise that's not kind of specifically your thing, but I think, for one thing, you know, little beautiful moments don't have to cost money. Um, and there's amazing joy to, to be found in, in just relying more on Jesus and not, not looking for, for that sort of... Um, thrill from kind of objects um, but I'd also say that yeah that yeah Jesus does give us a sort of a God gave art didn't he and he gave us beauty and stuff so I, I certainly would want some of that stuff there's not a very helpful answer at all Rich <laughs> um, got a anything to add no okay uh, Smithy Very good. Um, I've got an answer, but why don't you go first? Go on. <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's sin. In light of this passage. So sorry. Yeah, repeat the question. So, Dave is asking: um, Is it? Do I think it's a sin to uh, buy like a new laptop when the old one isn't broken, or to um, go on a more expensive holiday? when you could do it cheaper. Uh, I think it does come back to kind of what I was saying at the start about the fact that we all just live in a world of the rich man, and everyone's a rich man, and so you just lose complete uh, any kind of scale and context of things. um, And so I think if we make decisions kind of in the light of the the reality of this passage and in in, in light of the reality of world poverty, then yeah, it should... Yeah, of course it should. Of course it should make a difference. And so, yeah, I think if you if you if you're convicted of that, and if you're convicted by this passage, and then you go and buy a laptop when you've got one that works, then yeah, I'd say it's sin. Yeah, and I would challenge them definitely. Um, And I'd yeah challenge yeah. I'm standing up here, so I'm going to be called to account for this. So yeah. I'm quite aware that I need to be challenged, and you need to be challenged. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would just add to that. I don't think I don't think the point of challenging is necessarily to point somebody as godly or ungodly. It's about provoking each other to yeah. to godliness. Do you know what I mean? And trying to actually encourage each other to live more godly lives. Um, and I think you know this is this is stuff that even we, as a leadership, for the last year or so, have been trying to work out. You know, what does it look like for a church to be doing this? 
um, you know, on that sort of a scale, and even then down into individual lives for each one of us. You know, it kind of looks differently, but it's about provoking each other um, and kind of, and not, not, not aggressively kind of getting in each other's faces, but just, you know, kind of like, how are you, you know, you know how are you being generous? How be, are you being godly? Yeah. Um, and how are you stewarding what God's given you? That's really good. Very good. Joel. Did you? <laughs> So that's yeah. So that's worked out as in per. So it's six pound twenties worth of stuff here. Six is the same as whatever that. It's the same amounts worth of stuff in a poor country. So it's not just. I'm not just cheating because we've got a strong pound. I'm saying that is literally the the amount of food you could buy with six pound twenty five in England. It's the same over there. Okay. Is that? Is that what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I'm not expecting you to live on six twenty-five a day. If I, is that what you mean? No, no, no. no okay. but, but in terms of kind of, so say, say if I was, um, or if someone was on the benefits, how would that look in terms of that person being Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that amazing kind of story of Jesus, you know, and the widow's mite. So Jesus sees, so that Jesus and the disciples are there, and they see. Someone give a lot, and then they see this poor widow just give the tiniest amount of money. And Jesus said, "Look, she gave more than more than more than the rest of them, because she, she gave out of the, the little that she had." So yeah, it's absolutely about your heart, um, and uh, you know, if all you've got to give is whatever, like ten p, and that is that is you know a, a real thing for you, and it's it's out of your poverty, then yeah, I think that is. Jesus is interested in your heart, isn't he? He's not interested in the actual amount. Um, plus, I'd say there are you know, loads of ways that we can be generous other than purely financially, so with our time and with our compassion and all that. Rich? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's easy to then, you know, after something like this, to then get scared of having any sort of money as if it's like a negative thing and kind of it's to be... Um, kind of recoiled against um, but I think the reality is it's more about what we do with that money how we steward that because um, if we're going to stand before God and say y- you know I used that money but actually you know I just I just wasted it really I just threw it away I didn't really need it y- you know then it's kind of whereas if you can stand before God and say actually you gave me you entrusted me with X amount and I invested you know this much in the kingdom and I gave this much away um I think it, I think it is about the heart, and I think you know I think it's difficult in a situation where it's you know something like benefits or something where the money isn't directly coming in uh, for for particularly anything. Actually, it's coming as support um, because maybe you don't have a lot of money anyway. Um, but what I would say is, like Dave said, you know, it's a, it's about the little things that you do. It's about the little that you give. Um, you know, you may not even af- be able to afford to give much at the moment. You know, that's fine. But what you have um, out of the excess, you give. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess time's marching on. Uh, I mean, should we do. Go on, Andy, seeing as you've been. Yeah. Um, obviously, versus like you don't know what tomorrow will bring and that kind of thing, that could be a, a, a massive waste of money. Um, and then mortgages as well, do you know what I mean? Like that's 
saving and that, and um, yeah, in time and a half when one could argue in the past why they didn't just like I've, I've got two defenders that can do multiple things like in my house, but do I make him say, oh well, I think it's good for him to start? Do you know what I mean? You've got twenty, thirty thousand in the position before straight up. Do yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. a good one um <clears throat> so uh yeah so obviously we had this one this morning and that was the i, th- yeah, I think that's the one i downloaded through here <laughs> so um so i think yeah there's a few different things in there so mortgage against renting um you know which is the better kind of use of money because obviously renting ends up you, you get nothing back from it and often but then you know mortgage uh you could end up putting more into it, and yeah, like you say, it's a mortgage essentially is like a very, very long-term saving, I guess. You know, saving fund. So, yeah, that's good. I hadn't. Um, and then pension. I would. Um, <coughs> I mean, a pension. If you die, that money doesn't completely vanish. So that would go to your your sort of family or whatever. So, um, so I guess where, where I'm coming to, it, if it helps, is uh, so I'm still. Uh, paying my in, into my pension because I think well I need to provide um, I can't just rely on my children to to look up to support them in my old age if I've got the money now I should be wise about that so I'm not then I should basically be able to sort of pay my own way is what I'm thinking um, whereas but I, I would say with savings I'd be much more the question was savings, not mortgage. This morning, I think with savings, I'm much more like not interested in uh, saving money because I'm not say I wouldn't be saving for anything in particular, uh, other than just to kind of have something to fall back on. Uh, so I would want to give that to the poor. So that's where I got to. Uh, go on, Rich. <laughs> um, do you, I mean, do you know how pensions work? So if you if you pay in a certain amount, basically your employer pays in another lump on top of that which basically means kind of it's 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 almost a way of kind of maximizing um what you're being given which you would say was wisdom um really um but then having said that i spoke to a christian um not long ago and said you know what you think about pensions he said if i work if i work hard as the bible instructs me to do i could be a millionaire next year if if this business takes off you know so the reality is you have to balance the two and I think and I think a large part of it is what have you got faith for um, you, you know so I think I think yeah really I mean it does come down to what have you got faith for in terms of investing now um, and what does that look like practically um, I mean if you have dependents I would say it's always it's always worth investing for their sake you, you know rather than for anything else really um. mm. all right so um, <coughs> let's uh, so we'll sort of end the Q&A there. Um, I think, yeah, I think if there's one thing I would sort of like to get to as a result of this it is that picture of us in community sitting down and working this out um, before God and, before, and, and, and honestly with these scriptures. Um, so I've really uh, used up a lot of time here and uh, what I'd like us to do is um, perhaps do one, uh, one song and that'll be a, a chance to take communion as we do it. Uh, so, well, anyway, we'll do a couple of songs, but whatever. But um, I just want to say that um, communion is something that uh, believers do. So uh, if you prayed uh, that prayer of giving your life to Jesus, please do come and take the bread and wine. Now the, the uh, wine is in the paper cup and juice is in the plastic cups, I think. Uh, so just take as your conscience dictates. Um, if you if you're like, wow, I'm I'm really convicted by this. Uh, there's there's stuff I've got to sort out in my life because the Bible gives very clear warnings about taking uh, communion when you're kind of uh, you've got sin in your life that you know you need to deal with. Uh, I would say uh, sort out what what you can sort out sort out before you take bread and wine. Uh, what you can't resolve uh, before God. God, I, I've been convicted of this. I'm going to do something about it. Uh, but obviously, you can't do it right this second. But if you are going to do that, then obviously you're committing to do that. Um, so I'm going to pray, actually. And uh, 
pray God helps us in this. You know, when I, when I, I sent this uh, transcript to Steph uh, to check that I wasn't being heretical. I like to do that. And, uh, and he, just, he just sort of sent back and just sort of said, ouch. And that was his kind of response. And he encouraged me to, you know, preach it and that whole fire. So I've done my best to do that. And uh, I hope it's for all our good. All right, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. You are amazing. Father God, you are wonderful. You are so gracious. Even when we are so selfish, so sinful, so greedy, you in your, uh, you, in your amazing grace sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus, you went to the cross for us. You are amazing. And we, we get this amazing opportunity to live our lives uh, as part of your amazing adventure. And you call us uh, to be radical and be different from the world. And you call us uh, in, in, into living lives that don't get caught up in material wealth because you know that's for our good. It's for our good. It's not that you're trying to hold things back from us. It's because you've got something far better for us. So we just ask that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord. You'd help us to uh, cast off all these uh, the hindrances and the things that entangle us and go for you. God, we pray and we've sung. Jesus, we're living for you. Help us to do it now, I pray. Help us as we go away to, to be changed by your word. We just want to do it for your glory because we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.